Well, welcome, everyone. Look at everybody here trying to figure out if they're called to missions or not. All right. I'll tell you. Like, one at a time. You can come up afterwards. All right. And I'll just, I'll be able to tell just from looking at you. Um, also, there's a session evaluation card on this chair. Also come up and I'll help you fill that out <laughs> at the end. I know all the right answers. So you want to get a good grade. I teach, I teach at a seminary. So you want to get a good grade on this evaluation. And so I'll just give you the answers. All right, you don't even have to study. I already know what the answers are if you want 100%. Um, I'm Brian Vickers. I, this is my 12th year at GMHC, and I live not far from here, just right down the road. I also teach just a little bit further down the road, about 15 minutes from here, at a place called Southern Seminary, where I teach uh, New Testament biblical interpretation, Greek, and all that, all, everything connected to New Testament and biblical interpretation. And um, we're here today to talk about the call. I always sort of feel like we should dim the lights, and there should be maybe candles and like different sort of colored lights that are going on and off, and then everybody speak in a really hushed voice, and then that way we can see who's glowing and who isn't, right? Who's, who's been touched with the call and who hasn't, and you know, then you would know. But the problem is, is we turn the lights back up, and then you would have the same question you had before, right? Because, come on, see what happened. Everything? Is she okay? Okay, looks like everything's fine. So, wait, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, you know what? That's a, that, that, I've already forgotten that whole thing. I can't take that up again. It's a distant memory, and I've lost that thread. And I'm not going to try to find it. So, here's a, here's a question for you, right? This is the big question. Who feels called to stay put, stay home? Who has got... I didn't expect that. Who... Nobody ever raises their hand. All right, so that's the, you come to a mission conference and somebody says, you know, let me know. Who has a, I mean, okay, let me put it this, this way, make it harder. Who has a definite, no doubt about it, calling to stay put? Here am I, Lord, keep me. Right? Right here in this place. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you answer that question? Yeah, that's true. You pray. Absolutely. But what's the difference between your answer to, do you have a definite, now think about it, I mean like a definite sort of spiritual sense or something that God has called you to stay put. In other words, why are you staying put? Like what's your reason for that? Now, by the way, this is not like one of like secret guilt. I'm not coming. I'm not getting ready to come around the corner with like a bag of guilt for you. Don't worry. I, guilt is only good for like a few seconds, and then it becomes a horrible thing that never leads to anything good, right? If we live in it. So, but it's just a simple question. 
how do you know you're called to stay home? Have you ever wrestled? Are you like up at night, like wrestling? Are you talking to your friends? Like, I just don't know if God wants me to stay here. Like, in school. Right? Maybe you do ask that question, and you're hoping maybe the answer is like, God like speaks audibly, get out right now. I mean, I'm telling you. So, I mean, that's what my students say. My students get that call all the time. They call to drop out of school. But, you know, I mean, the, the point is, is we think about the call to missions almost in a way unlike we think of anything else. Almost. Right? And, you know, you've probably been in places where you get these sort of questions. Do you have a legitimate reason not to go to the nations? No. Yes, but I'm not going to tell you because it's probably not legitimate if you ask me in that way. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe you've never been asked exactly that way, but it, 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 it happens. Or maybe here's another one. Whoops, no, don't, don't look at that one. Hold on. What happened? Oh, I've got that. Okay, then the answer. No? Then what are you doing here? Right? You don't have a legitimate reason to stay put? Then what are you doing here living in disobedience? That's not me speaking, by the way. Some of the people look really shocked. I'm not, that's not dialogue here. This is just the way it sometimes comes across. Right? I promise. Right? This is, it comes across this way sometimes. Not from me, but sometimes it does. And then, if those sorts of questions aren't enough, then there's another one. Everyone has a call to the nations. It's just a matter of whether you'll follow it. So, in other words, it's just a matter of whether you obey God or not. Now, maybe you've never been in a place where you've been asked these questions in this sort of way, but some of us have. And even if we haven't been asked that, sometimes we ask ourselves similar sorts of questions. Or ask ourselves questions that have a similar sort of impact on us. And that is basically seeing whether we feel guilty enough to go into missions or not. Right? Something like that. Or if we can come up for some reason why we're not doing it. All I want to suggest is that is not the place to begin and those are not the questions to ask. Right? Is there a place for them? Not asked in that way, but of course the idea behind them, it might be okay. So, I think we should probably start with my own call to missions. Like, just to sort of get some credibility on the table, so you know that I'm legit. Whoops. Oh, come on. So anticlimactic. First of all, I am not a missionary. And I have never been a missionary. I've gone on some short-term trips. I am not preparing to move overseas as far as I know. I do not teach missions, except for here, (laughs) once a year. And that's not really true, by the way. When I teach New Testament intro, I I do. But I mean, you know, that's not my title. And I'm not a missions pastor at my church. I mean, they really brought in the big guns for this one, obviously. Right? So, if anybody can tell you if you're called to missions, it's this guy. 
I mean, just because of the credentials alone, right? I mean, who doesn't want to stay and ask me afterwards? Because obviously, I have all the answers, right? So, I did get into missions, though, in a weird way. Like everybody, I generally supported missions. So, if you had to come and say, hey, Brian, do you support missions? Of course. And say, of course I do. Well, how? I give to missions. Well, how do you do that? Well, I give at my church. And our church supports missions. I can show you their pictures. And Which is fine. It's a great thing. By the way, I'm not taking that away. I'm not making fun of that. I'm not being sarcastic about that. Nothing. But that was how I viewed my, you know, that's how I viewed my, my sort of contact with and support of missions. And then one day I was in church, right? So this story is off to a great start. I'm in church. I'm walking forward, not going forward, I'm just sort of walking forward after the service, and I'm not kidding, I felt a physical, no lie, touch on my right shoulder. And I turned around, there was nobody there. Nobody. And I could feel it clear as day. And it turned out it was one of my students who was standing way over here and tapped me. <laughs> he tapped me on the right side, and I turned, he's not there, but he's over here. The story is not done, right? You're like, how can that story get any better? Well, here's what this student, here's what this student said to me. He said, hey, look. He really literally said, hey, look. It wasn't, hey, anything. It was, hey, look. I'm like, okay, hello. He said, I'm going, there's a team of us going to India from Southern Seminary, from Southern, and we just lost our faculty advisor because he, he, he had some kind of something he had to do. Will you take his place? And I said, when? He said, like, six months or five months. And I, you know, I really I did some soul searching. I prayed. And like 15 seconds later, I said, that sounds pretty cool. I'll go. <laughs> I've never been to India. And it's a free trip to India. And so I said, yes. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating any of that. And then later, I, driving home, I said, hey, by, by the way, I'm going to India. <laughs> Denise, that's my wife. She's like, oh, wh- what? It's one of those things like, oh, okay, what's, what? And then I explained what it was, but that is how it started. And, but honestly, once I went one time, my life was really, in one way, this sounds overly dramatic, but in one way, my life was never the same again. Not in like I became a totally different person and all my habits changed and my personality changed and all of a sudden I was angelic and I was like, you know, evangelizing everything and everyone all the time and on fire in some kind of new way. And that's not it. But I began to look at missions for the first time as not just something that people with the term missionary sort of attached to their name might do. And so I started traveling overseas a lot. I mean, it was such a blessing. Still is. And so I would go over two or three times like with the school. Or, and then as I got to know people, I would get invited to come. And I still do get invited to go teach or, or lead discipleship classes or uh, I've done lots of different things in South Asia, Southeast Asia, and then uh, various sorts of places. I won't get all into them. But you know, one of the things that happened to me almost immediately after a couple of years of doing this, I would quite literally lay awake at night asking myself, 
am I called to missions? And I would often do this lying in a bed somewhere like 150 degrees in Calcutta for hours on end, struggling with the question, am I called to missions? And then I would come home, and you know, sometimes I'm one of these people who randomly keeps a journal, right? So if you get, if you catch me in the period of time where I'm keeping a journal, I'm like, you've got to keep a journal, right? If you just come back like three months later, I'm like, I don't, yeah, yeah, sometimes. I don't know where it is. And so I'll just have random things written down on scraps of paper everywhere. That's my journal. But if you go back and look at these journals that I'm actually keeping and writing in while I'm in India or, or Malaysia or wherever I am, it's all this question. It's all these questions. Am I called to missions? Am I called to missions? Or, you know, I want to be here. I love being here. I, when I'm here, I feel like, I feel like I, I fit, right? I, I, maybe not sort of super culturally. I mean, I kind of stand out. But, but I, you know, I have a job to do here that, that, that they appreciate. And is, there's a need. That's a big one, right? There's a need. There's a need here. And I have a certain skill set that fits that need. And so I became very need-driven. And then I would come home and I would sort of lament, about not being overseas. And one day I was having lunch with a, a friend of mine who I think was probably tired of talking to me about this. And he was a, he was a, he was a missions prof. And we're having lunch. And I'm going through the whole routine that I just went through with you. And he said, I'm sorry. Can we back up a little, me- a little bit? He said, okay, so you're... Training, your job is training people for ministry of various sorts of kinds. That's your job. You get paid to do that. And you train to do that. You go overseas two or three times a year. And you're involved in discipleship training. Or sometimes it would be like get into a, like a Buddhist school or, a, or an Islamic school and talk to the teachers like all day and sort of. Not any number of things, or do evangelism, or teach Bible students, or teach pastors. And he said, I'm trying to figure out what it is about your life that's not missions. And he said, you mean like right now what we're doing? He said, the problem you have is your definition of missions is far too packaged by you to think about what missions really is. He said, because even though you teach against the idea, you actually practically think of missions as simply a job that is determined by geography. And that's it. Now, just a little disclaimer before we go any further. I am all for sending and going overseas completely, right? One time I gave a talk like this, similar to this, sort of similar to this, at a missions conference. And when I was done, not one person from one agency would even speak to me. Honestly, I was just standing there in the big atrium, like, and there's a big gap around me, like a circle <laughs> around me. Right? And not for the usual reasons. I had no, what, I had no reason, what, I had no idea. And I asked the pastor, or one of the pastors, what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, they're all super mad at you. And I said, why? He said, because they just spent three days telling people to go, and you just spent an hour telling people they didn't have to. 
which I hadn't, actually. I had just been trying to make the point that let's not sort of hem missions into geography, because as soon as we do, that opens up a whole new set of questions that only a handful of people can really answer. Right? So, is there a geographical element? Yeah. But not necessarily because it's missions. It just means you're somewhere else. Okay? So, that's kind of where we're getting started. The biblical foundation of missions uh, is actually, I'm not going to, I just gave a talk on this. Uh, it's, there's two poles. Two, yeah, let's put it that way. There's Genesis 12, where God comes and speaks to a guy called Abram, who one chapter earlier, we hear his wife is barren. She can't have children. She's done. Right? Abram, he's an old guy, like past his sell-by date. His wife, can't, his wife is barren. End of, end of story. Right? And this, right before this. And then the neck, you literally, quite literally turn the page or go to the next heading or whatever you got. And all of a sudden, God comes to that guy and says, I'll make you into a great nation, and through you all the nations of earth will be blessed. Fast forward. Like, really fast forward. Jesus sits down with his disciples. Now, if you're wondering, I'm telling you, there is a hard line connection between Genesis 12 and Matthew 28. Hard line biblical connection. Unbroken. Because the Great Commission is the blessing to the nations. That's what it is. How are the nations blessed through Abraham? Through the disciples going out and telling people what? God keeps his promises. In other words, telling people about Jesus, who, Paul says in Galatians 3, is the singular seed of Abraham. I'm not going to get into it right now. But that is literally what Paul calls it. Paul says not seeds with an S, but seed, that is Christ. The seed of Abraham. The blessing to the nations is the gospel. That's how the nations are blessed. That's why you're here. Because you're part of those nations. Right? It's your story. And so that's the two big poles. In the Bible, and there's obviously there's more to it than that, but that's the uh, that's the foundation. And then, of course, we know the story, right? So, if we're wrestling with a missionary call, we're probably familiar with these verses that that show us how explosive, at least you know, from from this perspective, how explosive things were, right? In Acts, it just takes off. Jesus says in Acts one, "You're going to be my, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Then Judea, larger than Samaria, right? They're sort of half cousins that the, they don't like each other, and then into all the world, and that's how the book of Acts finishes up. They quite literally start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria." into all the world and ends with Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, in prison, which is a a strange ending if you think about it, in Rome. And that's how the story ends. And we're probably familiar with this. So we're like, wow, these people are on mission. Should I, do I have a call to missions? Right? Because people in the Bible had a call to missions. And we'll we'll keep reading. Oh, come on. Sorry, I heard that came out loud, right? I, I know I muttered that, and I have a microphone on. So, <laughs> but that's all I muttered, I promise. So, 
more and more women and men believed, so the churches were strengthened and grew. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. That's Paul, um, in prison, by the way, uh, speaking to a, a whole group of soldiers that nobody had any access to unless you were somehow close to Caesar. It's quite remarkable. Special, like in other words, if Paul hadn't been in jail, there's a whole group of Roman army, like the elite people, who would never have heard the gospel otherwise. But they did because they're Caesar's guards, and Paul's a special, Paul's a special guest in prison. Now, when we're trying to, so these are the kind of things we might read about and know, right? So we know there's a trajectory of missions. We know that there's a great commission and that the disciples went out fulfilling it. And then we come back to this question, do I have that call? And then there's another verse that often sort of aspiring or questioning or wondering missionaries ask themselves, do I have the call? And there's a the call place that sometimes people go to in the Bible. And sometimes it's even called the Macedonian call. Now, the Macedonian call is this. Paul had a vision at night of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And, you know, everybody's, even if you weren't that familiar with it, you are now. And you see how it works. If you get a call to missions, God tells you in a vision. Right? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not making fun of this. I just want to be really, really clear. But that we sometimes think of it that way, right? Well, if God wants me to go, he'll tell me. Right? What do we even mean by that? God will tell me. Right? I don't want to get into it personally, really, with everybody. But when you think of things like that, well, if God wants me to go to missions, he'll tell me. You ever notice when we're waiting for God to tell us something, we tend to get the answer somehow that we were kind of hoping for? Right? It's, it's almost miraculous how God is thinking just like us in virtually every way that has to do with us personally and what we want to do. It's remarkable. Right? I mean, he's always on board, it seems like, with my idea. Now, the trick to this is, you know what, you might get a Macedonian call, but if you want to follow this pattern, if you want to make this a pattern for your life and what your life works like, looks like, it could happen. There is a huge prerequisite for it, though. Does anybody know what that is? You have to already be out doing missions to get this, because Paul wasn't sitting at home like with Barnabas, like, man, dude, you know, we went on that one trip. I would really, I don't know if God wants me to go again. I mean... What do you think? I don't know. I mean, we went pretty well last time. We not really. Anyway, you got. It. I'm not going to go through the whole conversation they had. That's not what he was doing. Paul was already out doing something, and God directed him to go do that same thing somewhere else. So it wasn't like a career call. And so, I'm all for calling. I think. Probably a better word to think of is guidance with one sort of caveat. That is, if we drop the word missionary, the phrase missionary call, which some, some people advocate, don't ever use that. 
and instead use God's guidance, you know what the problem is? Is you'll come to a session about, how do I know if God's guiding me into missions? It'll just be semantics. It will have the same question, even if we, if we, if we just start calling it, I don't know, cucumber, right? It'll be the same question. We'll have the same question. Does God want me to go do, you know, cucumber, right? If we just call it whatever, it won't take the question away. We'll still have this question, though I understand the pitfall of calling it a call. Because we do have a way of turning the call into something that's like ultra, ultra, ultra spiritual that somehow other people get, but I don't. Right? Now, not everybody, but that's a tendency. I think probably a lot of people can relate to that. So, remember how I talked about earlier? Sometimes we feel, well, there's such a need, right? Remember, I was talking about this earlier. Because I would go to places, I mean, I'm a teacher by trade. I would go to places where there are no teachers. And I would show up and pastors and Bible students would come. I mean, quite literally, they would travel for days in all kinds of different ways. Anything motorized or not or half motorized or whatever. They would travel for days just to sit with me for like a few hours. And so, you know, if you're me and you're there... You think, wow, there's not a lot of me there here, but there's a lot of need for people like me. So I need to be here. Well, I think that's legit. But you know, a need and an open door is not the same thing as a calling, because you know what? No matter where you are, there is another need. So, are, is, is, it important, is it important that we recognize needs that we can fill? Absolutely. It absolutely is. But that can't be like the thing. That can't be the thing that's driving us. There's a need. I can fill it. I've got to be there. Well, if that's part of the puzzle, sure, absolutely. If that's the whole thing, you know what you're going to find when you get there? Other needs that need your attention other places. Whatever that is, right? Whether that just means moving like down the block or whatever. If it's only need driven, that will never be satisfied. You will never feel like you've got the call. Or you might go and think, huh, that call was the wrong number. I should never have come here in the first place. Right? So we just have to be careful. Is it important to have some sort of sense of a call? Yes. Can that be the whole thing, a sense of a call? No. Is it important to recognize there's needs? Yes. Can it be driven by need? No. Is it important for doors to be open? Yes. But what is an open door? Let me ask you that. Like, what's the open door? Here's the, here's the, here's the lowdown on open doors. There are open doors all around you. Absolutely. And we have freedom, according to the gifts and desires and abilities that God give us, gives us. I don't know if I said that right or not. To go through those doors. And you know what? It might be hard to discern how many open doors there are, but if you go through one and one shuts, you know. So my typical advice to my students is, I don't know. Go. 
if they're struggling, if, I mean, if it gets shut, you'll know. You might not know exactly that that, because when we think of open door, we mean not just open door, but like an open invitation with like a 10 point job description and all the details of what everything is going to look like, right? So much certainty that we finally determine that door is not open because the criteria we have to, for an open door just keeps right on piling up. But should there be an open door? Yeah. But, you know, it's like when my, when my students come, just like short-term missions, which I think is, by the way, a great place to start thinking about missions. When my students come to me and wanting to go on a short-term mission trip, do you know which students end up not going? I probably I don't even know if I want to record this or not. If a student sits across from me and says, let me go home and pray about it, that person's not going. I'm for, I'm for prayer. I want to go on the record, Vickers, yes to prayer. Right? Now, here's the thing, though, because the way I present it to them is this. I'm like, what? I said, good, okay, yeah, I advocate praying, but what exactly are you praying about? That's what I want to know. Whether God wants me to go. I'm like, what do you mean? You're a Southern student. Southern has put this trip on. There's a team. There's an opening. You're a student. The trip is going. What's the question? Well, how do I know if God wants me to go? I'm like, you're a student. And I just go through the whole thing again. He's like, well, how can I be sure? I'm like, there is a literal piece of paper for you to write your name on. That's how you'll be sure. And it's ten days of your life. Right? And honestly, the future of the kingdom is not hinging on it one bit. Just go already. Right? So if you're, if you're thinking about short-term, my view of short-term missions is always this. If there's an opportunity and you have the means to get there and it's not somehow like sinful to go because it's wasting money or taking somebody's money or doing whatever, or you don't have the money for it, you have to go into debt, whatever, there can be any number of things, just go. Right? God made a promise to Abraham, that promise fulfilled in Jesus, who said, go tell people that God keeps his promise to Abraham. You got an opportunity to go? You can go. Do you have to go? You don't have to go. Right? So, that's one way to kind of simplify things just a little bit. But, of course, they're not that simple. It's easy for me to say it's simple. What about missionary gifts? What gifts do you have to have? So, you want to go, you're like, okay, I want to be a missionary. I think there's an open door. I think there's a need. I got a call, I think. Yeah, seem to, most days. What gifts do I have? I mean, do I have missionary gifts? I mean, I don't really, I don't really like to speak out loud in public. You know, or we have these ironic views of missions, right? Like, we'll think, like, I hate hot weather. I hate bugs. I hate rats. God's going to definitely send me to some, the middle of some urban center where the temperature never goes below 100. Right? Or... I hate cold weather. I know God's sending me to Siberia. Like, what do you think? God's just like a big jokester up there, like, and like everything in your life is just God teaching you a lesson, right? You don't like hot weather, I'll show you, right? Who do we think God is? He's not us, right? He's not just this big jokester in the sky like we would be, like, oh, buddy, you don't like cold weather? I'll show you cold weather just to teach you a lesson. No, no, not at all. Right? And so, 
might you end up in a place that you be surprised? Yeah, it's even maybe likely, but not because God's just teaching you a lesson about how much you don't like bugs or whatever, right? I mean, our views of the way God acts are so weird, you know, because we think it's like us doing the doing, and it isn't, right? God's not a prankster. He's not just teaching you a lesson all the time about how much more you need to be doing. And does he ever teach us lessons? Of course. Don't go to the other extreme. But he's just not joking with us. Right? He's just not joking with us. But you might wonder about your gifts. Right? Especially, like, what if you're thinking about medical missions? What is that anyway? I mean, what's so medical about missions? Think about it. I mean, if you're thinking about medical missions, you've got like eight more questions than any other sort of garden variety missionary. Because you might have to think about, well, how is medicine missions? And then maybe something big. Well, Jesus healed people. I'm going to go heal people. And that's fine. If that gets you going, amen. Right? It does. But if you think about it, what are missionary gifts anyway? And I'm going to get back to the medical thing here in a second. I mean, there's apostles, there's prophets, there's teachers, and there's uh, still apostles, still prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, right? There's a couple more here. You might think, well, you know, not really any of those. And that's what a missionary is, right? I'm pretty sure. I mean, they're kind of like a pastor without a church who lives somewhere else. Right? Isn't that what a missionary is, kind of? I mean, it's like, it's a person who might be a pastor or a teacher They're just not currently in a local church because the world is their church or something like that. And they don't have a congregation. They're just there on their own. But that's kind of how we think about it. You know, I'm sort of being jokey a little bit. But we have these ideas of, like, what a missionary even looks like. What's a missionary profile? Well, here's the thing. The pressure's off. Because according to the Bible, God is... A hundred times more concerned about who you are and what you are and how you do whatever it is you do than he is about what specific thing you're doing. Does that mean he doesn't care about what specific thing you're doing? Of course it doesn't mean that. But God's not just an agency sending people places. God's... I'm all for agencies, by the way. Some of you are connected to agencies. I just want to say on the record, yes to you. Right? Okay. One of my friends down here runs an agency, so we're still friends. So, but the Bible, according to the Bible, you know what knowing God's will is? It's living by faith. God's will is is for you being shaped and formed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God's will for your life is. Now, what sort of geography... Or vocation that might take can be virtually anything. But if it takes some particular geography or vocation or gifts or whatever, and there's not that shaping and forming your life, your life being shaped and formed in the image of Jesus, all that vocation, all that geography, no matter what it is, no matter how many people you help, no matter what you do, is ultimately not work for the kingdom. Not according to the Bible. So anyway, what I'm trying to do is tell you this. Some of the questions we're all wrought up with, we're actually freed from those questions. Because God is first and foremost concerned to build his people into the kind of people he wants. And, right? Your life belongs to God. 
So when we think about what's my call, the first thing we think is, you know what, my life belongs to God. It's not first and foremost about me, my job, what I need to do. Those are considerations, but they're not the baseline considerations. My frame was not hidden for you when I was made in secret place, when I was woven together in depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That is you if you believe in Jesus. Right? So who are you? Right there. There's lots more descriptions about you too. You're called to faith and faithfulness. Now, we love Proverbs 3. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. He will make your path straight. Now, if your path is missions, one of the things we might do is like, what? I must not be trusting God. You know what? Because I don't know if He's leading me in the missions. So there must be something haywire in my trust for God. Now, I can tell you right off, you don't trust God the way you should. So, that you, yes to that. You don't. Neither do I. But this isn't, if you just amp your faith up to a certain sort of level, then God will like give you a ways app for your life in missions. That is no longer trusting God. That's sight. This is a, this is a call and invitation to live by faith. So make your path straight doesn't mean shine a spotlight on all of them. It means, living by faith means what? That even if my path looks like a corkscrew, going nowhere in circles, I can trust God that this is actually a straight path. Right? It's God who makes the path straight, but if you're living by faith, that absolutely doesn't mean it's going to always look like a straight path. So, is this a great missions text? It is. Because what it means is, is you can trust God and... Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your path straight. Is that he is guiding you even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when you're in the midst of all kinds of doubts and struggles. And let me say this and then we'll move on. Remember, faith is not the absence of doubt. We sort of think that. If it was the absence of doubt, listen, it would not be faith. It would be something called sight, and then not faith. (coughs) Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is believing in God when? When maybe everything else is stacked up before you to say, are you sure about this? Right? That's faith. Right? So when Paul says, another sort of text we might think of, we know that all things work together for good to those who are called, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And we're like, how do you know? It's the knowledge of faith, right? That's why Paul goes on to talk about height and depth and everything above and everything below, and things above, things above, creatures, principalities, powers. None of these things. In other words, all those things that would stack up against and say, "How do you know God wants you to do this?" By the way, Paul says, "I'm convinced that nothing." My faith can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So maybe the fact is, is we're all far more free in terms of thinking about our calling and how God is guiding us than we sort of think we are because we're waiting for something that God doesn't promise us. And that is a 100% clear vision of exactly what we're supposed to be doing rather than living by faith. 
Now, living by faith, of course, doesn't mean I'm going to do the thing that looks the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life, and I have no gifts for it. I'm not called for this. Everybody's telling me not to go. I'm going to go anyway because I'm not going to call it faith. Of course, that's not what it means. But too often, when we think about the call, whatever that is, what we really mean is a call like if I would call you on the phone and tell you, hey, i got a job for you. This is what it's going to look like. I'll send you a job description. You write your name on the thing. Send it back. Get me your information. Come up. We'll have an interview. I'll sign you up, and you'll go. But that's, that might be sort of part of you know, your journey into missions, but that's not what it means to know God's will. To know God's will means to know this, that God has a will for you and for me and for his whole entire kingdom in Jesus, and he is going to see that will through, and that our job is to simply live, do the hardest thing that we can, actually, to live by faith, that that is true, and not by sight. So, let's keep going before I run out of time. So you're called to live for God. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, whatever that might mean, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will for your life, first and foremost, is the shaping and forming you into the image of Jesus. It is about you and your faithfulness in whatever he calls you to do, not in the, simply in the job that you do. And sim- not simply in the geography that you happen to inhabit at any given moment. But actually, if you think about it this way, this really frees you up to think more freely about stuff like geography. Because then it truly just, does just become geography. And nothing more. Then geography, it's just being here and then being there. Or, it's for whatever reason, providentially, being here, and this is absolutely still exactly every bit as much true as if you were there. This is what doesn't change. All the other things, there's a lot involved, right? I'm making it sound super simple, and of course it isn't. But all the other things, if you think about it, all the other things may change. They may take different shapes. They may change many, many, multiple times in your life. They may take different twists and turns you never counted on. This never changes. This is always true. That God is after shaping you and after faithfulness, first, second, and third, not just a boss giving you a job. It's what you do and how you do that job that God gives you. Right? So again, right? does that answer your question about calling? No, but, but it might reframe it in a little bit of a different way as you think about what does it mean to even be called to do anything. Right? Not just missions, but how do you think about being called to do anything? Whatever it is. is it, it's really just a matter of scale, kind of. If you think about it. Here's some... Um, you know what? I'm not really into these questions right now. Just skip it. Well, maybe you are. Sometimes it just comes down to simple questions. Right? About 
actually going. I guess I, I do need to go about talk about actually going, I suppose. Here's a good question. If you're thinking about, are you struggling about whether or not God is calling you to go overseas, here's a simple question. Are you already doing missions here now? Because, let me tell you this, contrary to popular belief, when you move from here to a place where you're the only person who looks like you, acts like you, dresses like you, eats like you, you do not become all of a sudden super confident. We sort of think that if, if you just take me, like I don't even talk to people hardly, I, what, that's, a, that's a different person, right? So here's a, here's a person. Well, I don't really, you know, I'm not really doing much like in my church or in my town or in my neighborhood, but you pick me up from here and sit me down in the middle of Calcutta, I'm going to be on fire because I'll be filled with confidence for the Lord. Nope. You're going to open that suitcase and all that junk is going to fall out of it. And you're like, oh, I didn't know I brought all this with me. And now I'm even more uncomfortable than I normally am on a daily basis. That doesn't raise your confidence level. That doesn't make you on fire to do anything but maybe like question why, how you ever got there in the first place. So family, practical issues, right? That is, you're like, wow, this seems anticlimactic. But you know what it is? Because the first stuff is the climactic stuff. Family, health, gifts, what are they? Now let's get to the medical thing. Missions is not about having a certain skill set. Particular skill set. Which means, you don't have to be the person beside you. You don't have to be somebody who one day, somebody will write this huge biography about how you changed the life forever for everyone who in this sort of part of the world, wherever that is. All you have to be is the person that God made you to be with your particular skills, with your particular gifts that are really unlike the exact skill set of anybody else. Right? God's already got everybody else. Right? Maybe you've ever heard of Hudson Taylor or, or, or William Carey. This is really old names. I need to get some new names. And so maybe you've heard of those people. <laughs> All of a sudden I can't think of anybody more modern than that, but that's because I'm trying to. Well, the good news for you is this. God already has those people. If he needed another one, he would make them. So you don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to be as good at X, Y, and Z as somebody else. You have to be faithful with the gift that God has given you. If that's medicine, if that's a, if that's a desire and a need to go, to go uh, feed the hungry and clothe the naked and take care of the, the sick for the sake of Jesus, guess what? You've got the skill set. And because you don't have like the other whatever skill set that is, there's somebody else who does. Who doesn't also have your skill set. Because we're free to live by faith wherever we may be. So, I am again, I'm not one of these people who just calls everything missions. And everything missional. Even though I use those words. But it is true. If everything becomes missions, then sort of nothing becomes missions. That's true. And then we can be like, well, I'm just called to stay home. But the call to the nations never goes away regardless of where we are. But I'm just assuming there's some people in this room who are seriously thinking about, you know, what we typically think about is geography. And the thing is, is you have way more freedom than you may know you have. In terms of geography. But it's faithfulness. 
That's what we should be asking ourselves every single day. How does God want me to live in the world today for the glory of Jesus? That's what we should be asking ourselves. That's the question. Now, simple things. Then the last thing, affirmation. Even the apostles, even the apostles were affirmed in their calling to go to the nations. Even Paul was. Right? None of them were like lone rangers, I'm going out no matter what. Um, So Barnabas is set apart. Saul is set apart. I'm not going to read all these. And even Paul, who after being on missions, went down to Jerusalem and met up with the original guys to present what he's been doing. And they all got together and they affirmed Paul and what he was doing. In other words... Part of your call, regardless of what it is, it needs to involve and has to involve the affirmation of other Christians that, yes, we can affirm that you are doing what we think God has given you. Can they make the ultimate decision for you? No. Should you do it Lone Ranger style? No. Which means, I just want to encourage you, do not skip the role and place of your local congregation in lieu of the affirmation of an agency alone. And I think anybody here who's running an agency would hopefully agree, would agree with me on that. Right? Um, not that they don't do by, you know, but you get it, right? So the affirmation is not primarily, not primarily, it is partially, to a large degree, agency involved, yes. But don't skip over that step of the people who know you who live around you, who know your, you know, they know your story that you are discipled by. Without that affirmation, then I think there really is sort of big questions about, is God calling me to do this? And I just, I'm totally for agencies. But they can't take the place of a local body of believers. Right? And they don't try to. But, you know, we can sort of personally kind of make this sort of decision to sort of make it that way. But not because they want you to, right? So, anyway, that might be near the end. I am. So, in, in, just, uh, now I, have, I have time for a couple of questions, which is, which is rare for me. Now, do you feel any more sure about your calling? Probably not. Did I think you would? I didn't. All I really wanted to do was... Hope, thinking, come in here thinking, you know what? There's got to be at least a handful of people in here who are thinking and over and over and over again about the call, about the call. How do I know? I know people who have it and I don't seem to. I just want to ask you, are you really asking yourself the right questions? Right? Because no matter what, you're going to wake up tomorrow not overseas. And my guess is, unless you are like right on the verge a month from, well, better back that up a little bit, unless you already live overseas. If you have never gone, a month from now, I bet you, you're still in the States. Which means there's at least a solid 30 days of living a life for the glory of God in Jesus between now and then. And it can't just be about, as soon as I get out of med school, which, I mean, takes forever from what I can tell. As um, soon as I get out of med school, then I'm going to be something. 
Then I'm going to be a medical missionary. Right? So what the Bible invites you to do is like, look, maybe, and hopefully, but you know what? Your sort of job description as a follower of Jesus, same exact thing tomorrow you wake up as if you wake up 10 years from now in the deepest, darkest part of wherever doing medical missions. That'll be a ge- geographical change, but not a spiritual change. So any, any questions before we, before we break up? Yes. Yeah, after the third journey. Yeah. Well, he. Well, yeah. There's there's several things. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut your question off. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I said. I mean, when I said there's doors open, we can't wait until we see, like, the clear door. But about Paul going to Jerusalem at the end, there's two reasons. One is he had been going around the churches collecting money, right? The Macedonian churches, all the churches, and his, he was determined to personally take that money to Jerusalem. That was his number one reason for going to Jerusalem. It was a very practical reason. Number two, he did he did have a word from God that you're going to Jerusalem. And that was that was part of it. Though all Paul's friends said, No, you know what, no, we don't want you to go. So I think you know, I think you you see sort of both of those things combined. Right? But when but when Paul went, I mean he went down there, people are like, You shouldn't and then what they thought was gonna happen did happen. Paul's like I need to go. And so he he did have this sort of decision to go that he had made. I don't know if that gets to your question or not. I guess the point I'm getting at is the that God has actually given all of us a commission. And it kind of leaves us all free will to work through how we fill that specific role in that commission. Well, I think that God gives us a certain commission, yes. But I, um, what, how that gets fulfilled, I think that I don't think it's as I don't think it's as sort of God has like a thousand plans and he knows all those and you you might take one, and he'll say, well, okay, you're taking that one. Um, which I know that's not what you're asking. Um, so, but no, I, but I don't think that, I, don't, I think God gives us the means to make decisions to fulfill his will that we would go, or that we would, whatever it is he has for us to do. But it's not done by just sort of passively, like, I'm just going to wait till this all washes over me, and then it will be clear. I don't know. That probably still didn't get to your question, but... I'll figure it out later. <laughs> okay, then email me and give me the answer. Anything else? I'm looking at yeah. that, and, and I think it's Galatians. Mm-hmm. All are called. It's where, it's where um, you know, Christians were all called. Yeah, and there's, there's a general sense, absolutely, that we're all called. But of course, it goes it goes beyond that because we're you know we're called, but we're also given certain gifts. And when we in this sort of setting, you're absolutely right though. In this sort of setting, when we think of calling, we are we are, and for good reason, connecting that to sort of vocation, which is important that we do. But I think it's just as important that we understand whatever our vocation is, our primary, our primary I don't know what to call it a task, our primary reason for being or whatever doesn't change, and that is faithfulness to the God who bought us by the blood of Jesus every day in all that we do. 
and not just counting like, in other words, not just counting my call as the big things and kind of letting the little things slide. Because it's the best, okay, this will be it. The best barometer for you about your future in missions or whatever that is, I'm telling you, and for me, is how we live tomorrow or today. The way we're living today and what's important to us, what we're focused on, what, where our thoughts are going, what our thoughts are centered on, how we're loving others and living for others and not ourselves, that is by far the best tangible barometer you have for what your life would be like in a different piece of ground on the earth. Anyway, I hope it's been helpful just to think about things together. Blessings to you. Thank you.